Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning. You know, one of the things that uh, I have found striking recently has just been how easy it is to make mountains out of molehills. I have been struck just how effortless it can be to take the smallest little thing and transform it into this tremendous object of a mountain, an obstacle, a stronghold, if you will, to try and have to overcome. It can be so easy, can't it? It can be so effortless to take the smallest thing and try and transform it into something that's that's really actually very large. I know, I know I'm not the only one. It happens something like this, doesn't it? Uh, A wife says, Hey honey, would you please would you please put the washed clothes from the washer into the dryer? And being the husband that he is, he desires that he wants to, to please his wife, so he goes down. Yeah, he, he grabs the, the clothes from the washer into the dryer, and, and somehow in the process of going from the washer to the dryer, he puts them in, but he, he forgets some, a very vital step. He, you see, he forgets to push start on the dryer. Not that I've had any experience with this whatsoever. Now, it's easy in that moment, right, for a bride who who, uh, generally loves her husband to say something uh, that's really quite, well, it makes a mountain out of a molehill. I can imagine a a bride saying to her husband in that moment, why is it that I have ever married you in the first place? You can't even take the clothes from the washer and put them into the dryer and get them dry. And the fight is on. It's a mountain and a molehill. You can imagine a child sitting at the, the table and they are preoccupied with something else. And before long, there it goes. The milk is all over the table. And you had some papers there that you needed to try and keep dry. Not knowing that your child was going to, to spill milk all over the place, and you just respond in that moment, you, you say to yourself, and quite frankly, you say to your child, that's it, you're never having milk ever again. That's the last time. It's effortless. It's easy to make Mountains out of molehills. You go to a restaurant. It's a nice place. You like to go there from time to time. You sit down. You're with some friends. You order. And when the food comes, it's not what you ordered. You ask for something very specific You saw them write it down on the pad of paper, but for some reason, whatever has happened back in the kitchen has not not made it into its place on your plate, and you are irritated. Now, you don't say anything to the server, but you don't tip like you normally would. And you get back in the car, and those people that you're with, well, that's the last time I go there. 
mountains out of molehills. And it's easy, isn't it? It's effortless. I mean, it's so easy to take those little things and just blow them way out of proportion. And in fact, James says we can do the very same thing with God. Uh, James is going to say that we can do the very same thing when it comes to uh, the trials and the troubles that we have. In fact, uh, James is going to say that, uh, that we can make mountains out of molehills by taking our trials and turning them into temptations. And it's going to be so easy, it's so effortless for us to take the thing that we're struggling with in life, uh, to take the trial that we're enduring, uh, to take the thing that we're having to persevere through, and to begin to say, ah, this is so hard, and create a temptation out of it. We create a mountain out of a molehill in our spiritual life. You see, we're, we're in this series in our second week uh, Rocking in the real world. And, and the idea here in this whole series is that, uh, that we wrestle with our faith, that we, that we say to God, God, would you, would you grow our faith? Would you enlarge our faith? And would you use the laboratory of our real world to enlarge it? Would you allow us to look at our faith and how we live in our real life, in our real world, and would you just grow us? And we looked at it last week when James, uh, right away, right in the opening uh, portions of his book, in his letter to a church, uh, this pastor says, hey, consider it pure joy uh, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that that trial, that testing, uh, that God is using in your life, uh, that it can develop perseverance in you. And when perseverance has completed its work, you will come and you will be mature. You'll be complete. You'll be a whole person. And your faith will be strong. It will have grown. You will have flexed your faith muscle. And we learned last week that when we come to God in our trials, He's going to help us persevere. He's going to help us hang in there and hang on, and that we can ask for wisdom. God, would you give us wisdom so that we might understand the trial? And that when we persevere, when we hang on and we hang in, when we stick it out and we stand up, that God has ready for us a crown of maturity, <coughs> excuse me, a crown of maturity in our faith that he's ready to hand out, that we serve a good God. Now, all of you, I, I, it was interesting to me as the week went along, we, uh, as a staff, we were, we were continuing to get emails and text messages from all of you. And you were saying, hey, this is my trial, and this is what God is doing in me. And, and you were trying to process through, hey, I, I, I'm going through this trouble. I'm going uh, through something, and, and, and God's trying to get me to persevere, and I, I want you to help me. And so for all of you who have ever experienced a trial or a trouble, and you're wrestling with this idea of perseverance and, and what God can do to perfect your faith and what God can do to grow you and to mature you in your faith, that he will use the trials and the troubles to refine you and your faith with him, uh, well, there's something else that you need to know. Sometimes when you are facing a trial or a trouble, it's so easy, it is so effortless for you to go from God, thank you, 
uh, God, give me wisdom uh, that my faith might grow. It's so easy and it's effortless to go from there to go, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. God, did you hear that? I've had enough. I'm drawing the line. I've gone as far as I can go. I can't go any further. I'm done persevering. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe mentally you can begin to go, mm-hmm, yeah, I've been there. I don't want to go any longer. Can't I just quit? Can't I just stop? And it's there. It's there in those moments of frustration. It's there in the moments when we, we want to tell God, no, God, you don't understand. I've, I've really had enough. I don't want any more that we can make a mountain out of a molehill. It's right there in that moment when we're enduring the trial and we're trying to persevere and we think we've come to the end of our rope that we can actually begin to make a temptation out of a trial. And you probably know some of the, the things that I'm talking about. Maybe it is that your life right now is just an absolute chaos. There are not a lot of margins in your life. Maybe you're a student in here this morning, and uh, your life is just so incredibly busy, you can't possibly imagine it could be any more busy. And you get up early in the morning, and you go to your club before school, and then you go to school, and you have homework when you get home, uh, but before you get home, you have a sports practice that you have to go to, and then you have to go over to someone else's house to help them do their homework because you have to study for this uh, very uh, particular class It's going to help you in your college career, and, and you begin to think, God, I, I've had enough of this. And there's a thought that crosses your mind. You begin to try and say, God, I'm, I'm done with this trial. I, I know that maybe you're testing me and seeing if my faith will grow, uh, but there is an idea planted in the back of your mind. Well, perhaps I could just cheat. That'd be a whole lot easier. I wouldn't have to study. I'd get a little more margin. I, I could hang out with my friends a little long, bit longer. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. If I could just do that. Or maybe it is that you're, you're a mom and you have young children and your life is just absolutely chaotic. And you're running to and fro and you feel like you are more of a taxi service than anything else. And, and quite frankly, you feel like there's a whole bunch of people in your life that don't quite appreciate you. They don't appreciate you like you think that you should be appreciated. You don't feel like your husband gives you the kind of props that you deserve. All you want is just a little thanks or, or how are you, honey, or how can I help out, but you don't seem to be getting any of that, and you really want to scream, and in fact, it, it occurs to you that maybe God is testing you, that perhaps what he's doing for you right now is giving you an opportunity to refine that faith, to make it grow that it would be a little more mature tomorrow than it was today, uh, but you do have stuck in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, I could, I could hit Facebook with this. I could be passive-aggressive to my husband. I could begin to yell at my children and let them know that I, of all the things, the laundry list of things that I do for them every day, I could tell them in a very loud voice, 
so that they would all know. And so quickly, so quickly, so quickly we can turn a trial that we're going through into a temptation. Maybe it is that you long for a relationship. And in longing for that relationship, you... You, you know that, that God has set boundaries upon relationships. You want to be married. You want to, to, to have someone that you can enjoy for the very rest of your life. It seems like everybody else has this, but you don't. And, and you're thinking, God, maybe you're testing me. I know, but, but everybody else that I know is getting married. Everybody else has their people. And, and it begins to occur to you that this is not the way the world works. The world just goes and they live together and, and maybe that's what I can do. Maybe, maybe, God, maybe God, I can just give in. You see, trials can easily become temptations, can't they? Trials can easily become those spaces where we begin to ask God, God, are you tempting me? God, are you just playing with my life? Are you trying to stretch me, God, just to see how far I'll go before I'll sin? I imagine it as if it's a a piece of fishing line, and there are two people on either end stretching that line, and us asking, God, is that my life? Are you just playing with me to see how far I'll go until I break? Is God tempting me? And if you've ever asked that question in frustration with God, then the pastor James has an answer. So if you're at all interested in the answer that God gives, I'm going to ask you to join me in James chapter 1 today. James chapter 1, if you'll go ahead and reach out and grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. James is in the New Testament, which means it's in the back of the Bible. If you get to Hebrews, you're almost there. Hebrews and then James is the next book. And I'm going to be in James chapter 1. Is it God who's tempting you? Is it God who is orchestrating this feeling of maybe thinking about sin in you? Is it God who is stretching your life just to see what will happen with your life? James gives gives an emphatic response, and the response he gives is, absolutely not. I mean, God can't even be tempted. God can't be enticed to do evil, much less tempt you. Listen to what he says in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the one tempting you. In the, in the course of your trial, uh, you have to believe that God wants what is best for you, that he wants to see that perseverance come and stand and hold and be firm, uh, that God wants to develop a faith in you. But how easy it is to begin to, 
to manipulate the filter where we begin to say, uh, maybe it is that God is the one who's tempting me. And James comes along and says, uh-uh, no way. God's not the one tempting you. He's a holy God. He, uh, he can't think about this evil thing that you think he's capable of, of thinking about. God's not able to be tempted. Now, I want to clarify something because there's oftentimes a question that comes up when we think about uh, when, when being tempted, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evils. The, the question often comes, well, what about Jesus? Uh, was, didn't he come to earth as a man, a fully man and fully God? Uh, wasn't he tempted? And the answer is yes. James has in mind here God the Father, the one sitting up in heaven. He's not necessarily talking about Jesus, the Son here, who came and was like us, tempted in every way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the God who is in heaven, uh, the one that's above it all, uh, he is unable to be tempted. He's absolutely holy. Uh, So don't begin to think uh, that just because you're having a hard time persevering through the trial and trouble that you're going through, uh, that somehow God is playing with your life uh, just to see how far it takes until you break and begin to sin. So now the question begins, doesn't it? Uh, okay, if God's not the one that's tempting me, then, then where is the tempting coming from? Now, can I prepare you just a little bit? There are some times when we read the Bible that the Bible doesn't give us the answers that we most want. Are you aware of that? Uh, That sometimes when we open up the Bible and we begin to ask questions of the Bible, uh, the Bible gives us an answer uh, that really, well, it kind of hits us in the face a little bit. When we ask the question, well, where are these temptations coming from? We better be ready for the answer. Because James says, it's not God, it's us. He says, it's not God. God's not the one tempting you. Uh, God's not the one turning trials into temptations. You are. That there is some self-centered desire that is enticing you, uh, that you're acting on it in some way, and it's leading to something bad. It's actually going to lead to something disastrous. Uh, He's going to say it's going to lead to death. Who is it that's tempting me? Me. Look at what James says in verse 14. Uh, But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to Death. Mm. Many years ago, I was listening to someone, I couldn't tell you who it was, and uh, they likened our life to a barn. You know what a barn is. This is Iowa. Oftentimes, in a big barn, you'll have doors on both sides. He said, oftentimes, this is our life. We have a, we have a barn on both sides. And every one of us throughout today, we have all sorts of thoughts rushing in and out of our minds, 
rushing in and out of our lives, rushing in and out. And, and sometimes we have to be very careful that we don't shut the door on one side. Because when we do, uh, we might catch a temptation that we really don't want to be there. Because if it's a bird flying through, they'll keep on going. But if we shut the door, that temptation, that thought, well, it's going to build a little nest inside of our mind, inside of our heart, and it's going to build a nest inside of our life. And then it's going to conceive, and it's going to give birth to more uh, little enticing thoughts. He said, James is saying, hey, when you're facing trial, when you're facing some level of trouble, uh, you have to be very aware. God's not tempting you, but you might tempt you because you know what you really want. So you're that, that, that school student. You, you are that student, and, and, and your life is chaos. And you think uh, back to the times in your life when you're most busy and you're studying, and you think it's going to be so easy to cheat. And you begin to grab hold of that thought. You know, I, can, I could cheat, and no one will ever know. I mean, it's so easy the professor, uh, the teacher, they're, they're not really paying attention. I can cheat and no one will know. Uh, I, can re- I can release my time. It'll be wonderful. And that thought is beginning already to stir in your mind and in your life. And you're thinking, I, I could get away with it. And here comes that enticing thought. Here comes that, that easy thing. And now I'm being tempted, and now I'm really thinking about it, but where is it really coming from? Is that desire coming from God? No, 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 that's not from God, that's from me. It's my pride because I want a good grade. It's, it's my pride because I want recognition. I just don't want to do the work for it. Maybe it is that you're that mom and you're thinking about just blowing up your children in a, in, a, in, a, in a barrage of words. You're thinking about telling your husband where he should go and you're, in the chaos of life, you, you begin to gravitate to that, that idea, that, that thing that you know that you could absolutely make him a stump of a man. You could absolutely put their, your children in their place so that when they come around you, they're walking on eggshells, and, 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 and there, there's pride in that, and it's not coming from God. No, it's coming from you. Maybe it is that you're in that serious relationship and you're thinking about all the things on all the other people that have all these other wonderful relationships and, and you begin to, I, I want the pleasure. Is that coming from God or is that coming from you? James says it's so easy to make a trial into a temptation, but when you're tempted, don't say God's doing it. Recognize where that temptation is coming from. That temptation isn't coming from God. That temptation is coming from you. And did you notice the results of this terrible temptation? He says when, when it happens, when it's enticing you, 
It will drag you away. The idea, the picture there is of a lure, a fisherman who is going out and and there is this beautiful little lure out there and just as soon as the fish thinks that they have conquered something, just as soon as the fish thinks that they have won the day, uh, they, they notice that now they're being drugged through the water because they have been hooked. Just when they thought they would have what they wanted, they find that something is going to have them. Have you ever set a mousetrap before? Maybe you put a little cheese or a little piece of peanut butter on there. Uh, James is saying when you say to God, God, are you tempting me? And you're not willing to own the fact that the temptation's really coming from you. He said, <coughs> you know what he's saying? He's saying, You're setting your own trap. You're like a little mouse. And you come with your little nose and you have spread the peanut butter on your own trap and you come out. Mmm, that smells good. And you think, oh, this won't hurt me. Bam! Because notice the devastation that it does. When you are the student and you decide to cheat. When you are the mom and you decide to yell. When you are in that relationship and you, you decide to be unfaithful to God and impure in your moral life. When you decide to allow the pride and the selfishness to come to the surface. James says, it grows. It doesn't diminish. He says, it grows. And I want you to hear this because it's so important. It's a little thing. (coughs) He says, (coughs) after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, James has this thing throughout here that he desires for us to be full grown. In verse 4, he says, let perseverance finish its work. Why? Uh, So that you may be mature and complete. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be full grown in your faith. So uh, we have a contrast here. Either you're going to be full grown in your faith or you're going to be full grown in sin. But you get to decide which way is it going to be. Are you going to handle your trial and say, God, would you refine me and refine my faith? so that I might grow into you and my faith might be real in the real world or you're going to say God must be tempting me God must be doing this and the sin inside of you is going to grow up and it's going to give birth to death inside of you He's saying spiritually, when you act in that way what's going to happen to you is you're going to be disgusting on the inside You're going to be dying on the inside. You're going to be acting out this because once you take that step, the next thing that you know is that at school you'll continue to cheat and you'll continue to to draw the line backwards in regards to your moral. In your relationships, you'll let more things go because it's going to grow and it's going to grow until it's fully grown, until it kills you. And there you'll be in life, this person who is riddled with guilt, trying to justify perhaps sin, perhaps wrestling with depression, because you said to God, God, you must be doing this to me. 
So how is it that we avoid that? How is it that we avoid making mountains out of molehills in our spiritual life? How is it that we avoid um, making trials into temptations? How will you and I in our regular life grow our faith instead of be diminished in our faith, uh, shriveling up into death of sin uh, that's coming inside of us? How will we deal with that? Well, James gives us some answers, and the first thing that we see, the first thing that James tells us is that God is good, and that He is a good God longing to give us very good gifts. Join me, would you? Look at verse 15. Verse 16, he says, Don't be deceived, my brothers and my sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heaven of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. Hey, gang, guess what? He loves you. He says, hey, I have given you this great word. Uh, I have allowed you to see the good news of who God is. Uh, I, you have come to receive that from me. You have been saved uh, by Christ, you have been made righteous by him. I am I am seeing you as the very first. You are the first fruits. And what you are now is a really uh, I, I am looking forward to who you will become. Have you ever gotten a gift for somebody? I mean somebody that you really love. Have you ever worked really, really hard? To try and come up with the perfect gift? Okay, I have. I have. It's hard. It's super easy, isn't it? Walk into the store. I'm just going to pull out my wallet. I'll, I'll spend whatever it, it comes to. I'm just going to spend, and here you go. There you go. But that's not a perfect gift. No, 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 the perfect gift is one where I think through every little thing. I think, oh, what, what is it that this person most needs? What is it uh, that I can do for them to take them to a next level? What is it that I can give to them uh, that will be most loving and most kind and, and that will demonstrate to them how much I love them? And, and James is saying, you know, we, we serve that kind of God. And if you are going to keep yourself uh, from developing mountains out of molehills, if you're going to keep yourself uh, from trying to make temptations out of trials, then you got to know this. God is good. And he's good all the time. And he loves you. And he sees you in his goodness. And he's chosen you. And he wants to give what is absolutely best for you. So when you're in chaos in life, perhaps what he's saying is, I'm just going to give you a more opportunity to be organized. Perhaps what he's going to give to you in that relationship is an opportunity for you to grow in a way that you never imagined possible before. That maybe uh, both of you needed to grow before uh, any sort of commitment was really made. And God is going to show you. I mean, he's already said earlier on, right, if we're engaged in trial, just ask him for wisdom so that you'll understand. You see, God's good. He's a perfect God. And he wants to give perfect gifts to those that he says he loves who are the first fruits, the very best of all he could have possibly created and chosen. And that's you. Do you want to avoid making trials into temptations, you got to know that God is good. 
And you have to believe it. The other thing that, that James is going to say in regards to how we, <coughs> excuse me, how we go about making sure that we don't make mountains out of molehills, that we don't create trials, uh, make trials into temptations. Um, he's going to say, would you ask God that you might control the emotions, control the feelings in your life that would have you enticed towards sin? Notice what he says. My dear brothers, in verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, oftentimes when we're in a trial, we can become angry and frustrated. And you know what? We're human beings. We're emotive beings. We're going to show emotion. Uh, but perhaps in the midst of a trial, if we're if we're going to keep ourselves from uh, making a trial into a temptation, uh, from, from making a mountain out of a molehill, uh, what we desperately need to do is just say, God, would you have my emotions with this? Would you have my anger in this? Would you have my frustration in this? Would you have my emotions so that my emotions do not lead me down a path of an unrighteous life that you would not have me live? If we, want to, if we want to do that, we have to ask God, God, have, have control over the deepest emotions in my trial. The third thing he says is, is really in regards to, to making notice of the moral filth, the thing that we most want, and naming it so that he might have it. Notice what he says in, in verse 21. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent among us. Get rid of it. Uh, point to it. Recognize it. Recognize the temptation, be aware of it, so that you might not make a trial into temptation. And then finally, the last little bit of verse 21, notice what he says, and he says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I know that guys like me, you think, uh, oh, you're paid to say things like this, but no, it's, it's true, it's so true, I, I wish I could just say no, 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 don't, don't discount it because I'm the one saying it. We have to hide the word in our hearts, don't we? We have to take this thing that God has given us, this special revelation that we call the Bible, and we have to ingest it. And we have to digest it, and we have to study it, and know it, and meditate over it. Why do we need to do that? Well, at least in the trial, one of the reasons that we do it is because when we are facing those temptations, when we are facing that, that thought that wants to conceive death in us, we can go back to the Word. We can go back to the Bible, and we can begin to say, God, what, what do you have for me here? You know, there's a, there's a new song um, that's come out recently, and, and it's really interesting. And it really is a song about suffering and trial and, and recognizing God's goodness. And in one of the chorus lines, it says something like this, I will praise you on the mountains, and I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. I'll praise you on the mountain, but I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. No matter what, God, I'm, I'm going to find a way 
to give you praise. This last week, I was in Atlanta. I was at a conference, and, and we have gone there for a number of years now, and so we get to see the same people over and over. And it's striking, isn't it, that even though we're here and they're there, uh, how, how easy it is to create relationship. And there's a guy, his name's Corey Moorhead, and he serves with us every, every single year. And just before going down, I learned that Corey's wife, Mary Glenn, that she uh, was told that she had breast cancer. And we talked about it and we prayed over it. And I just began to think, man, this is a trial for her. This is a trial for him. They have two young, young children, and he's wanting to know from God all sorts of things. God, what's going to happen with her? Uh, what's going to happen with me? What's going to happen with my children? And he began to say, you know what? Even our children sometimes, they recognize that mommy is not doing well. She's just gone through another round of chemo, and they want to know what to do. And they want to touch her, but they really can't. They want to be close to her, but they really can't. And I thought, oh, boy, that's heavy. And then I thought of some of the things that James is saying. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And when you do, don't allow a trial to become a temptation. And that's what I'm praying for my friend Corey, and that's what I'm praying for you. Because it becomes so easy and almost effortless, doesn't it? begin to make mountains out of molehills. Pray with me. Gracious God, you are good. Way, way good. Way good. You are so good. Lord, I, I agree with Jed. I am unworthy to stand here with you. But by your grace... You've allowed your word, Lord, to just speak. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak to the hearts and the minds of people here today. And if they're going through trial, Lord, I pray that they would put that in perspective and they would know who you are and they would know how to respond. I pray that there would be nobody that begins to blame you. I pray that there would be nobody in the midst of their trial that they would make it into a temptation, Lord, and that would lead them down an awful path. And Lord, I pray that if they have already begun down that awful path, if they have already begun to allow sin to be conceived, I pray that they would repent. I pray that they would turn back to you right now. I pray that they couldn't rest. I pray that they would have no comfort and no peace until they return to you. And Lord, having returned, I pray that they would get on their knees and in repenting, their actions would change. And Lord, you would transform them. Lord, none of us in this room enjoy trial. We don't like it. But will you fill us to the measure of your goodness? Will our faith just grow to be more like you? Lord, help us rock in the real world with our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.